I liken it to the pathway of the the lobster in American cuisine. <laughs> you know, it's here it was something that was considered like the cockroach of the sea, something that poor people would consume, is now being served to you on silver platter at a huge markup. Now you see that country music and, and, and hip hop are the largest money generators in the music industry, despite its denigration. As early as 1700, there were Spanish, indigenous, and African populations in these mountains. So it's, you know, it is much more, um, much more complex. What are, what are some of the, the, the origins that might be around for the combination of bluegrass and hip hop. And uh, I can't speak particularly for for specifically bluegrass or specifically hip hop, but there was a tradition in cotillion dances in the 18th century of like making up calls. And it's something that is, is uh, I think, I think was really started in the African-American community because it was an African-American player, Francis Johnson, that really popularized the American cotillion. My high horse I'm always on is the difference between music, which is what musicians do, and records, which is what the recording industry sells us and, and requires for the sake of discussion, some kind of categorization um, for the sake of marketing, for the sake of radio or whatever, we have to categorize things. But among musicians and the people making music, there is no category. We talk a lot about the banjo on this series. While it's not the sole focus of this episode, the banjo is a main character throughout in a story that began in West Africa, travels west to the Caribbean, and then to America, where it found a home on plantations, then in string bands, and eventually in forms like bluegrass. And now the banjo has a new genre that it can call home, one that you might think is pretty unlikely. It was quite a long and winding road for the instrument itself, from the accounting to the open back banjo and then the resonator banjo, an instrument with an equally rich history of players and settings. But this story is about so much more than the banjo. At its heart, it is about a musical path that diverged centuries ago, or at least seemed to. As our guests have already hinted, there's a great deal in common between what so many people regard as different worlds of music, and those worlds have in recent years come back together. Welcome to Southern Songs and Stories, with our episode on the intersection of hip-hop and bluegrass. Southern Songs and Stories is part of the podcast lineup of both Public Radio WNCW and Osiris Media. Osiris creates music podcasts and events to help music bands deepen their connection to the music they love with all of their shows at OsirisPod.com. Osiris works in partnership with Jam Bass, which connects music bands to the music they love and empowers them to go see live music. 
Capsule versions of Southern Songs and Stories are produced for broadcast on WNCW by me, Corey Askew. More information about this and other podcasts from Grassroots Radio, WNCW, at WNCW.org. In 2022, Jake Blunt brought us his album, The New Faith, a collection which soon found its way onto many year-end best-of lists. Rolling Stone, NPR, Pop Matters, Songlines, Folk Alley, and The Guardian among them. Blunt is also nominated for Artist of the Year at the 2023 International Folk Music Awards. But what's that you hear in this song? Gather round, gather round. Lo, I've seen what the trickster hits. Hear the sound of a king trying to get it. The water rising, surrounding everybody that's in it. And little Silas want to come home. All he got is a cot that the drum on. Whole family pole. He was taught not to run from it. When you come from it, come from And the king ain't never alone. This is The Downward Road by Jake Blunt, along with Brian Slattery on percussion and demeanor, rapping in an original song that also draws from the song Angola which was first sung in the Western Hemisphere by enslaved Africans in Jamaica in the 17th century. Demeanor is also Rhiannon Giddens' nephew, and he raps on several songs in this Jake Blunt collection. Rap in an acoustic roots music setting. Why is this happening, and why is it noteworthy? And why has a group like Gangsta Grass, who fuse hip-hop and bluegrass, found itself nominated for an Emmy for the soundtrack to a hit TV series? I'm your host, Joe Kendrick. And in this episode, we speak with members of Gangsta Grass as well as Dan Taminsky, and we welcome Dr. Jordan Laney of Virginia Tech and the Virginia Rural Health Association, and author, podcaster, and former editor at No Depression and Folk Alley, Kim Rule, as we answer these questions and unravel a story that began centuries ago, but has only recently reached a pivotal chapter in its history. And where are we in this history? With artists like Jake Blunt and Gangsta Grass flourishing, it seems like we are just at the beginning of this blending of rap, hip-hop, and bluegrass and string band music. I asked vocalist Dolio the Sleuth, fiddle player B.E. Farrow, and guitarist Wrench the Mastermind of Gangsta Grass on a video call about how they describe themselves as a, quote, radical desegregation of roots music at a fundamental level. Here's Dolio, followed by B.E. Farrow, and wrench the mastermind. A lot of it has to do with the fact that we see as genre is as a, as a, as just a, it's an institutional construct. Um, it's set up as a way to categorize what is essentially art along cultural lines that were artificial to begin with. Um, our, I guess our radical desegregation of it is basically us breaking the barriers that didn't need to be there anyways because those barriers stifle the creativity of art you know it it, it robs each lane of access to the you know the myriad flavors that that are available within each of these realms that that didn't need to be segregated or separated yeah, I think we do that uh, even more so um like way beyond like our 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 moniker of being a combination of hip hop and bluegrass, we bring a lot of other 
elements and genres into the mix constantly, uh, not just when it comes to eras of bluegrass or string band music or, or folk music, but even even just in the confines of hip hop and going going from southern hip hop to northern hip hop to different eras of hip hop, we we throw a lot of different elements into the music, and we hope we hope people are are hearing hearing that 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 sort of culture clash we we embody in the music. I want to ask you about your origins and how you came up with the concept of gangsta grass. When did it hit you that this was a good thing? Well, gangsta grass specifically it was around two thousand six. Um, that I was um, having that specific idea and sort of it was just like a, an itch that I needed to scratch. Um, but I was already doing a lot of country and hip-hop fusions. Dolio and I had already been in a, in a honky-tonk hip-hop band called B-Star. And uh, that just comes from me having influences from my dad, who's from Oklahoma, having a lot of honky-tonk music around the house. And... Um, when I was a kid, we were all listening to, to early hip-hop music and breakdancing during recess to the Beat Street soundtrack and Run DMC. So when I started making music, I, there was things from both that I really wanted to include. I, I honestly came on a lot, a lot later. Um, and uh, Gangsta Grass, um, I, think, I think I was talking about way earlier on, with uh sleeves the manager she was like you gotta check out this band gangsta grass this is before uh sleeves became our manager and i was like ah, i don't know i don't know i listened to a band i was like i don't know and i was think what i was afraid of is like another honky tonk badonkadonk uh band form. um but then i listened to the music and the lyrics and it was really our son and dolio's lyricism and i was like okay this is this is the this is what I can I can really be about. And I came from I, I was playing with Dom at the time doing old time music, but I, I came from doing a lot of hip hop shows and led a couple of hip hop bands back in the day around the DC area. So it just fit well for me. Come on. bit of Ride With You by Gangsta Grass from their 2020 album No Time for Enemies. Like B.E. Farrow, Dan Tominski did not know what to make of the group at first. However, at the International Bluegrass Music Association Conference and Festival in fall 2022, he got on stage with them. I, I, I love that they're taking something and, and, and making it their own and, and doing something different with it. You know, when I, when I first heard of Gangsta Grass, uh, again, I saw them online someone had reached out and said hey check this out and it, it was interesting to me and then i found when it broke into the hip-hop i don't know there was something about it i i did i kind of dug it I, I i liked it i didn't understand everything what it was about at first and then when i went and i saw those guys at the ibma and uh, they said something on stage which which really did speak to me uh something to the effect of and i won't get this exactly right but they said 
listen, they said, you know, there's a lot of people out there, lots of types of music. If you've ever walked into a club, you know, and they and they were playing some some hip hop music or some weird stuff that you didn't feel like you fit in. He says, we want to tell you, you fit in here and we welcome you. They said, and if you like bluegrass music and you don't like the hip hop stuff and you feel like there's no place for, you know, you, you, you find trouble finding your place. They said, you belong here. They said, listen, we don't, it's, it's about welcoming all types of music, all types of people and bringing people together to, to celebrate the fun of music. And I, I thought they had a good message. And, um, I had no idea I was going to get up there on stage with them. Their manager came out during the last song and said, hey, would you get up and do a song? And that was kind of a surprise to me. I just thought it would be fun. So, yeah, I jumped up and, and we did Constant Sorrow. Yeah. Dolio said earlier that the music industry tends to categorize art along cultural lines that were artificial to begin with. To that point, here is Kim Rule. This music comes from black folks. You know, it it was... Um, like so much of black identity was taken by white folks um, and repackaged and resold and all the things. Um, and so, you know, I think it's I think it's a really important conversation to have a really important question to raise now or whenever, anytime. Um you know, to to dig back into these roots and really appreciate where it came from, uh, appreciate the amount of appropriation that's happened um, at the same time as how much has been built. Uh, you know, there's like appropriation, which is like sort of a misuse, um, a misclaiming. But then there's, there's all this collaboration that has also happened uh, from the original, like, um, like Smithsonian Folkways just put out a, an album of of songs by um, Western African Ikonting players, um, believing that the Ikonting is is a predecessor of the American banjo, and you can hear um, the relationship between claw hammer banjo playing and the way you play the Ikonting, um, which I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly, Ikonting, um, but you know all of this conversation about the black roots of American music and American folk music, Appalachian music has resulted in people actually digging up those roots and revisiting them and, and appreciating like how far we've come and how much has been built, how much culture we have built together that artists have built together, white artists and black artists and native artists um, over the centuries, which I think is, you know, a great lesson for us about working together across differences and across understanding. Here is Wrench from Gangsta Grass, followed by Jordan Laney. And it's totally like a class thing um, as well, that like when the record companies first started um, selling recorded music and they had the, the music of basically Southern poor people to sell, but it was during Jim Crow. And, you know, not coincidentally, they split it into race records and hillbilly records was their terminology for it. And that, you know, at the time was really more inter intermingled, but because they split it for the separate audiences um, due to the, the segregation of people at the time, that's what we, where we learned to, to sort of differentiate them as like poor black music versus poor white music, even though originally it was poor Southern people's music. And now like we have the, we still have the legacy of that. Like the way that when somebody says like, oh, I like all kinds of music except for country or hip hop. Like that's, you, you know, like under the surface there, it's kind of a classism thing. 
right? Like, right. I like everything except, like, poor people's music. Basically. Well, music from communities <laughs> that made it for themselves. Dr. Fred Hay from uh, Appalachian State University, he was the librarian of the Yuri collection there. Um, he actually had to petition Congress to change the the definition of Appalachian from, quote, mountain white to a person of Appalachia or a person from Appalachia, like, and this is in 2008. Like, you know, so I think it's just really representat representative of, of the complexities of growing up here. Every, you know, I'm a white woman. I have, you know, a college degree. I've got some type of, you know, all different types of things with my own identity, whether it's religious or, you know, from gender or um, different abilities and these types of things that are never represented by one specific um, genre. And I think we're seeing that race and the ways that genres are attached to places like rap, urban, or bluegrass, rural, it's really a lot more complicated than that. Um, and that's, that's exciting for me to see people able to, to say, look, my identity and my my experience growing up or living here now is much more complex than this one narrow path. Down along the river, just something on a rock, I'm looking at the boats in the Bonneville lock. The gate swings open, the boat sails in, the two-tied whistle, she's gone again. Gasoline going up, wheat coming down. An example of talking blues from Woody Guthrie, who, along with artists dating back to the dawn of the recording industry decades before, recorded songs in the country blues style without singing but rapping. Doc Watson also provided some famous examples of talking blues, an ancestor of what is often referred to now as country rap. Here's Kim Rule. And you think about something like the talking blues, um, which is a, a, a form of singing in quotation marks but it's really rapping white people rapping woody guthrie um of course did this bob dylan has done it to great effect um goes all the way back to the the 1920s uh talking blues but um it, as far as you know white folks making talking blues or white people rap um <laughs> but of course you know the the use of clever turns of phrase and rhythmic language um, you know, is rooted in Black religious um, music, spiritual music. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I don't think that, that the the music or the musicians have ever seen this fracturing. I feel like it's sort of split up because of the recording industry. And now the artists are actively bringing these pieces back together. Despite all the efforts, be they intentional or overt or not, to make us believe that styles of music played by black people do not have anything to do with music white people make, that is simply not true. In reality, as our guests have pointed out, when it comes down to what people listen to, who they play with, and what ideas they pick up on the way, there are few lines, racial, cultural, or otherwise, that they will not readily cross. Even when the sound of the music seems so different at first listen, a b-boy battle compared to a bluegrass picking circle, for example, there are other commonalities. Here is Jordan Laney. 
for me, my interest, you know, growing up at festivals uh, and in, you know, my earliest memories are of people playing music in the living room or falling asleep um, backstage. It wasn't until undergraduate and I left for college. Um, I went to Winston-Salem and I was with some friends attending a b-boy battle in Greensboro. Um, so attending this very, you know, a, a hip-hop rap event that I started to think about how um, my own community organized at events. So like the the gathering of like the, the cypher at the at the uh, b-boy battle and, and the way that a jam is organized were so similar. And I remember my friends not really feeling um, like they knew what to do in the space, like where to go. But for me, after a few minutes, it was like, oh, this is set up exactly like all of the music um, events that I've, you know, been comfortable attending. So it was that physical space that was very similar um, and just the the way everyone was in a circle and sharing music was so, you know, it took me back to like, oh, that's exactly how a jam works. And this is, and my, my interest um, has been on how those spaces have been inclusive or how there's been historically gatekeeping in those spaces. So for me, um, in the bluegrass community as a woman, it hasn't always been as, as welcoming, you know, or it felt as, as approachable, honestly. Um, and historically, you know, festivals um, are known and Rihanna Giddens talks about this and um, Michelle Williams and all sorts of, of folklorists and scholars um, about how the history of, of kind of celebrating tradition, typically traditional, and I'm using air quotes, um, Appalachian music has been seeking out voices that connect to Europe in some way um, or voices that are really white um, and represent kind of this, this whiteness. Um, and, and so those practices of including and excluding people, I think are really important. And um, a lot of the stories that get, get hidden in, in that process. So that, that's really where I first kind of saw connections. We call hip hop folk music. Um, I mean, at least we do <laughs> as a crew, we, we like to tell people that hip hop music is folk music because it, all of these things burgeon out of just collections of people trying to have a good time. Take that yeah. just a bit further. That 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 whole that's where I've tracked it here in the United States, and I think that's it's actually something that might have come from the Caribbean because Francis Johnson, his half of his parentage was, I think, Martinique, and uh, uh, you can hear even in Caribbean music today with the quadrilles that they do, the way they speak in French over the music for like a pantalon is like. It, they're they're riding the beat as they're saying these these dance steps, which I don't think fully came together uh, in rec in the recorded history of dance calls because dance calls now today are just sort of shouted over the music rather than to the beat. Hmm. Thank you for bringing that up. I didn't know anything about that. Yeah, we we keep uh, we keep running into all these overlaps like that. Like Dolio was saying about how hip hop came from just people trying to make music with each other with what they had. You had uh, the development of ciphers, which is people 
on the street, somebody beatboxes and people just freestyle and trade verses. It was something that people could do spontaneously um, where they are, which is the same thing that happened like uh, in, in Appalachia, the way uh, they call it a pick, where, you know, with bluegrass, you can sit down in a circle and somebody call a traditional or a chord progression and they trade solos. And we, we found that like those two things are really essentially the same the same process so so uh you know a real hip-hop mc and a bluegrass picker or an old-time player can really sit down and and use that same format to really play and spontaneously um, get down with each other and that's something that we utilize for our live shows so i'd also want to say if anybody out there can can find uh the nearest gangsta grass show to see us sometime uh we would really love to have you see us play Wrapping up our show, no pun intended, with Gangsta Grass and their song Nickel and Dime Blues from their No Time for Enemies album. While artists like Gangsta Grass and Jake Blunt are at the vanguard of blending hip-hop and acoustic roots music, there are plenty of other examples. Previous episodes of this series on banjo player and band leader Trey Wellington, for example, uncovered the fact that Trey makes beats on the side. And our episode on Americana artist Dory Freeman revealed how she draws lyrical inspiration from rappers like Noga Eras and Jack Harlow. From historical parallels like the masters of ceremonies at an 18th century quadrille to 20th century talking blues songs, not to mention all the ways that Black, Native American, and European cultures came together in all forms of music that were invented in America, there's a lot to digest here. This episode is only the beginning of an attempt to bring all those histories and cultures into focus, and the story is rapidly evolving as it unfolds. I welcome your thoughts on all this, and you can find me on social media on Twitter, at South Scenes, on Instagram, at South Stories, and on the Southern Songs and Stories Facebook page, as well as by email at southernsongsandstories at gmail.com. We're glad you're listening and are even more grateful whenever you share this with someone. Please follow us on your podcast platform of choice, and then it will only take a minute to give it a good rating and, where it's an option, a review. Great ratings and reviews especially will make Southern Songs and Stories and the artists it profiles more likely to be found by more people just like you. This series is a part of the lineup of both Public Radio WNCW and Osiris Media, with all the Osiris shows available at osirispod.com. You can also hear new episodes on Bluegrass Planet Radio at bluegrassplanetradio.com. Thanks to Corey Askew for producing the radio adaptations of this series on Public Radio WNCW, where we worked with Joshua Ming, who wrote and performed our theme songs. Thanks also to our guests, and we encourage you to check out their work. You can find out more about Kim Rule on her podcast, Why We Write. And soon, you can hear Jordan Laney's podcast, The Bessie Lee Society. I'm your host and producer, Joe Kendrick, and this is Southern Songs and Stories, the music of the South and the artists who make it. Here's the flex with the line in his kit.
Dogs all said it's really nothing if you climb with the fifth, huh? I'm cooking cast iron in the pit. Your bread ain't really thick if all you buying is a fit. I cut it up in sections, then I fry it till it's crisp. Seize a little, little more than required for the fix. Well, I could not pay my ticket. Die.